Amen. Friends, I will probably say this many times this morning and in the weeks and years ahead. It is good to be together. I'm so grateful for this church and for all of you. Way back a few months ago when I was supposed to come up with a title for my sermon today, I don't, I don't know, I chose something called, I think it was The Things That Matter. I've got a different title for my sermon today, and it's inspired by the reading that I've chosen, which is a poem by Langston Hughes called My People. The night is beautiful. So the faces of my people. The stars are beautiful. So the eyes of my people. Beautiful also is the sun. Beautiful also the souls of my people. My sermon this morning is called Beautiful People. A few years back, I visited the Hirshhorn Museum down on the mall and saw a photography exhibit that captured my attention. The images were of men and women in intimate Revealing positions, locked in an embrace or crouching naked in the corner of a room. And beside them was a statement by the artist Wolfgang Tillman that read, When photographing people, I look for the coexistence of their vulnerability and their strength, which is how I define beauty. When I read that, I thought, he's on to something there. That is a compelling and compassionate assessment of the human condition. A beauty that emerges from the simultaneous presence of our vulnerability and our strength. And so friends, this morning I want to say to you that I see that beauty all around me this morning. I see that beauty in your vulnerability and your strength. And for me, this Sunday is too soon to try to analyze all that happened on Tuesday. But if we can do this this Sunday, if we can acknowledge our vulnerability and remind ourselves of our strength, then we will have accomplished what I've set out to accomplish this morning. And if we can find the beauty 
that emerges from the intersection of that vulnerability and that strength, well, then we will have done something very special indeed. The emails started about 5.30 Wednesday morning. Folks hadn't slept. Rob, I'm so angry. Rob, I fear for my daughter's life. Rob, I feel like a stranger in my own land. Rob, my fiancé is an immigrant. Can we move up the date of our wedding that we'd scheduled for May? On Wednesday night, about 400 of us gathered here in this candlelit sanctuary for a healing Vespers service. People sobbed and embraced one another and lit candles. We lifted up prayers for one another and for our nation. The youth group came because they wanted to be together on Wednesday. And afterward, we all lingered over food and drink because we didn't want to go home. It felt good to be together. Lesson number one about our vulnerability. Don't let yourself be isolated now. We need one another more than ever. We need our compassion right now. And we need our solidarity. As we move forward in the days and months ahead, I think it's important to realize something about our vulnerability, that, there's, that there is a part of the vulnerability that we're feeling now that is common to us in our human condition and to our response to the election. There's something common in our vulnerability, but there is another dimension of our vulnerability that is particular to each of us and to the place that we inhabit in this nation right now. Because there are some in our congregation and community whose identities have been specifically targeted by the hateful rhetoric of the president-elect and the people in his inner circle. And for many in that situation, the sense of fear and vulnerability is particularly acute right now. There are members of our congregation who are Muslim, singled out by the president-elect for suspicion. Some are immigrants who now fear for the possible deportation of themselves or their loved ones. There are black and Latino members of our congregation who worry that their lives may matter less in a Trump administration. There are women who fear for access to reproductive health Victims of sexual assault who in some cases have been re-traumatized because the nation just elected someone who boasted of sexual assault. There are queer people who fear that recent gains in our civil liberties will be rolled back and trans people who fear they'll never get them in the first place. I say all this because... It's important 
that we acknowledge our common vulnerability and pay loving attention to the particular vulnerabilities among us as a community so that we, as we move forward, we can offer one another compassion and solidarity in our struggles. Since Tuesday, as I've been thinking about our vulnerability, I've been thinking about one of the ways that historically religious communities have reached out and ministered to the vulnerable among them. I've been thinking about the concept of sanctuary. It's an ancient concept that goes all the way back to the book of Exodus when the Israelite people had escaped from the Pharaoh, had escaped from slavery, had crossed through and spent 40 years in the Sinai wilderness and were just about to cross over the river Jordan into the promised land. And God said, wait, before you cross over, I want to say one thing to you. When you reach the promised land, you will set up amongst you cities of refuge for the alien resident among you, for the poor and the widow and the oppressed. They will serve as sanctuaries for the oppressed. This is the biblical notion of sanctuary. Even the Romans abided by this principle of sanctuary, saying that secular authorities, that their, the authority of the secular government stopped at the walls of the church. And if someone was fleeing unjust persecution by the government, they could find sanctuary in the church and the secular authorities couldn't pursue them there. In the 1980s, this church participated in the sanctuary movement a latter-day underground railroad bringing refugees from war-torn countries in Central America to safety and security in this nation. Friends, I've been thinking a lot since Tuesday about this idea of, this, of sanctuary, and we don't know what the future may bring. But today, I want us to promise that this congregation will provide sanctuary to all who are vulnerable and oppressed by the incoming administration. We will provide sanctuary to them. We are here for you. We are here for one another. Sanctuary. That is the promise that we make to one another today in our vulnerability, friends. That is, that is one of the beautiful things that can come from the intersection of our vulnerability and our strength. Sanctuary. So yes, we are vulnerable. But as the portrait artist, and as our own religious tradition reminds us, we are also strong. You know, I have a good friend and colleague who, 
every Sunday gives the same benediction to his congregation because there are some things that we just need to be reminded of every Sunday. And among the things that he says to his people every Sunday is this. Forget not your power in the days of your powerlessness. Forget not your power in the days of your powerlessness. Let's not forget our power, friends. America is more than its government. The American people are better than their government. And power isn't just about who controls the Congress and the parameters of our freedom are not defined solely by who controls the court. There are other kinds of power. There's the power that comes when people of faith and of moral imagination hold fast to a vision of a just future. There's the power of the artists who give us glimpses of that future. There's the power in the movements and institutions that make up our civil society and that have stood for our values more enduringly and more powerfully than any political party or any candidate. And we are part of one of those institutions. So let's support the institutions and the movements that that struggle for our values, even when the entire political structure is arrayed against us. Let's get savvy about the levers of power that we have access to and use them to bend the arc of the universe toward justice. Now is not the time for retreat, my friends. Now is the time for us to recommit to that beloved community that we have labored for so long and so steadfastly in this congregation. In addition to all the emails I got this week that were, that were fearful or, or frightened or vulnerable, I also got a lot of them that were determined, that were feisty. Hashtag feisty souls, right? <laughs> yes. Folks determined that our voting rights work will continue. Folks determined that our ESL ministry is more important now in the context of the threat to immigration. Folks determined that the church live into the vision of sanctuary by supporting refugees from war-torn Muslim countries. Folks determined to double down on our commitment to building an anti-racist and multicultural church and society. Friend, now is the time for us to claim our power. And the power that we claim is going to be the power that we claim together. Let us not forget our strength in this troubled time. Because if we need proof, if we need any proof that we are capable of strength, and power in the face of adversity, then friends, we need look no further than the history of this congregation of which we are a part. On Friday, All Souls Church marked its 195th anniversary. 195 years ago, 
195 years ago, this congregation was founded by people who believed that there needed to be a beacon for progressive and prophetic religion in our nation's capital. And a year after that, the church had a bell forged in the Revere Foundry in Massachusetts by Paul Revere's son, Joseph. It's the same bell that stands in our bell tower to this very day. If you've never seen it, go up there sometime. It's a thing of, of strength and of beauty. When John Brown was executed for his raid on Harper's Ferry, we rang our bell in solidarity with his abolitionist cause. When Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, we rang our bell. When the Civil War ended, we rang our bell. In 1963, as congregants marched out onto 16th Street to join Dr. King for the March on Washington, our bell was ringing and it rang again just a few years ago when the mayor of the District of Columbia came to our very sanctuary to sign D.C.'s marriage equality law into effect. Friends, the bell of this church has never stopped ringing for freedom because this, never, this church has never stopped standing for freedom and we are not about to stop now. This church has seen its people through worse times, through a civil war, through two world wars, through many struggles for justice. And friends, together, we will see ourselves through this time as well, acknowledging our vulnerability reminding ourselves of our strength and seeing what beauty comes at the intersection of the two. My beautiful people, may it be so. Amen.